The Screen Lawyer Podcast is brought to you by Cape Sokol Attorneys at Law. On this episode of the Screen Lawyer Podcast, we're going to dig into one of the most profound, I think, and groundbreaking pieces of legislation coming out of the Congress in a long, long time, the Corporate Transparency Act. And I'm joined by my colleague, Danny Durbin, who has spent a lot of time unpacking this legislation, how it got started, and what it'll mean for everybody else, including people who put things on screens. Danny, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I am too, Pete. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get started. Welcome to the Screen Lawyer Podcast the intersection of the entertainment world, intellectual property law, and emerging technology, where we discuss legal and business issues surrounding any type of content that ends up on your screens. I'm your host, Pete Salsic, The Screen Lawyer. Hi there. Welcome to The Screen Lawyer Podcast. I'm Pete Salsic, The Screen Lawyer. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Danny Durbin. Welcome, Danny. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. And you're going to guide us through the Corporate Transparency Act, right? A pretty major piece of legislation that's getting ready to um, cause a lot of work, maybe, and right? And headaches, I'm sure, for, <laughs> for some. Well, let's take a step back because the Corporate Transparency Act, let's talk a little bit about the history. Now, this was enacted in January of 2020, correct? Correct. Okay, so, and one of the things that I think may come up in this is some arguments like, why is this, is this, is this, is this, is that? But I think it might be relevant to remember what the who the administration was when it was enacted, and this is really meant for all businesses, and it's meant to cover right. some important things, right? And this was something that was passed with bipartisan support, which I feel like is rare to say yeah. these days, um, and during the Trump administration. Yeah. And the goal really of it was to crack down on those that were trying to use business entities to essentially hide behind uh, shell corporations and commit more nefarious um, criminal activities. Right. Okay. Well, that's that. So that's the the foundation, right? That's the why. Correct. And we'll come back to that. But let's go back to the what, because I think maybe I jumped a little ahead. What is the Corporate Transparency Act? So the Corporate Transparency Act is an act that was part of actually like the largest bill that's been passed in U.S. history, wow. and it is meant to um, require reporting companies, so depending on whether or not you meet that definition, which we will get into, okay. um, the reporting companies then have to report all information with respect to their direct and indirect owners. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So let's, let's and we'll go through this. There's a lot to unpack here, right? right. So um, we want to spend a little time making sure we've got the right term. So you said reporting companies. So yes. first of all, this applies if uh, an entity is considered a quote-unquote reporting company, right? Correct. What does that mean? So a reporting company is one that is any legal entity. So you're thinking of if you're forming a limited liability company, a corporation, anyone that's actually filed documents with their state's secretary of state or whatever the um, administrative agency is to form an entity. And this is going to apply to both foreign and domestic companies. Okay. Um, one question that pops into my head right away is nonprofit corporations file 
documents with the state. Does this apply to nonprofits? So that's a really interesting question. There are about 23 exemptions, um, and there's nuances as you get into it. But with respect to nonprofits, the interesting thing about that is, at least given the way that um, the, the deadlines, if you will, have been set up, by the time a nonprofit actually gets their nonprofit status, they, at that point, um, don't they've already had to report um, within the required timeline. Interesting. So we'll be um, seeing and following, I guess, how they deal with that because as this has been closer and closer to coming into effect, we have seen um, different proposed rules come out to try and address concerns such as these. And that's going to be part of the discussion today and I think ongoing, right? This is the legislation is almost four years old. It is supposed to come into being in January 1 of 2024, right? Right. So literally a four-year path from signed and into, into actually coming into um, operation, right? And it's, there's challenges and there's a lot of nuances yet. So we'll get into that. But um, that is really interesting about the nonprofits. Okay. Yeah. I, didn't, I, cu- I kind of cut you off. Is there anything else we need to know about a reporting company? More so that if you think, um, I always like to stress the purpose of this, kind of getting back okay. to the idea of making sure that we are able to stop, or the government at least, is able to stop kind of criminal activity, at least the kind that's hiding behind companies. Okay. And so when you're thinking about those types of reporting companies, like which entities are exempted from being deemed a reporting company? You have, um, like I said, 23 exemptions, but they all kind of fit into that idea of of the purpose, of the why for this Corporate Transparency Act. So uh, one example is highly regulated companies. And that makes sense because they're already highly regulated. The government's already getting that information. So I always think if you just circle back to the purpose, you're going to be able to kind of figure out and understand the um, the various nuances. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And and, and you're right. You, You come back to the why. Uh, of the whole thing every time we go through this. Um, so, okay, so if you're a reporting company, so you're in this category, and let's let's stop back and just say, what are the basics? What what has changed? So right now, if you're a, uh, you form an LLC, you, you file the articles of organization, or depending on the state, it might be called something slightly different, but essentially all it really says is, here's the name of the company, here's a, an address, here's a registered agent, Here's some money, right. pretty much. Exactly. Right? No, you got it. And that's what becomes filed publicly. Now, those companies may have, they likely will have an operating agreement. They may have investor agreements. They'll have, you know, lots of internal documents about who owns what interests and who can do what. But those are all internal. Correct. And that's what's changing, right? Yes. So it's not so much that, and I know you didn't mean this way, the Corporate Transparency Act isn't requiring that now everyone hand over those internal documents. It's it's just that, so those internal documents that reflect who the owners are, for example, those are the items that are now going to have to be reported. So at least for a reporting company, so you meet the definition of a reporting company. If that's the case, then the information that you're going to have to file solely about the reporting company, and we'll get into the the owners. Um, So solely about the reporting company is the the legal entity name, and then any name that it does business under. Okay. And then you're also having to put the principal place of business, 
which should not be controversial. You have to usually do that um, when you're filing the entity. Um, And then also the jurisdiction that it was actually formed in. And then the the EIN, or if they have um, a TIN. So any kind of identifying, unique identifying number. Tax identifying number, number, right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. But then... Now that's just the information about the company, right? Correct. But and and functionally, that's all already basically publicly findable, if maybe not in one place. Right. So what's changed? So I think the uh, kind of biggest uh, commotion, if you will, has been made about the beneficial owners. Okay. And so with respect to a beneficial owner, that is defined. So first you've got that tier of, okay, are we a reporting company? Okay. If you're deemed a reporting company, then you're going to look at if anyone um, within that business is deemed a beneficial owner. Okay. And a beneficial owner is an individual who either directly or indirectly um, is exercising substantial control or who owns or controls 25% or more. And that can be something that okay. is um, aggregated, that that 25%. So if you own it through, if you own interest in the company through, let's say, various entities, you're going to aggregate that to see whether or okay. not you have 25%. So, so you have to sort of unpack who owns the owners. Right. In a way, right? I mean, if, they, yes. if you're going to aggregate, it, it, so, but it, so there's, there's, Two thresholds, though, right? So let's say uh, a company, just for example, has, um, you know, a fifty percent owner, and then maybe a couple of small, and but maybe has two or three or four or ten owners that own two percent or four percent, and they don't exercise any control. They're maybe passive investors. Those people are not going to have to be identified, are they? Not. So if they don't own 25% or more, okay. and they, then they will not have to be. Okay. Um, once, though, you start exercising substantial control, um, even if, you, let's say, you only own 1%, you would still then have to, you'd still be deemed a beneficial owner in that situation. So what, what, um, what does it mean to exercise substantial control? I mean, I know if... if you know, you're just talking to people in the, you know, in the walking around on the planet. They have substantial control. They have an idea of what that means. But I have a feeling it's got a little bit different definition here. It is. And I keep using this word nuance, but there really are so many nuances with respect to this okay. law. Um, and the reason is, so you talk about someone off the street, substantial control. What um, the the regulations have pointed out is, so they're meeting that definition of maybe what a reasonable person would think of. So if it's a senior officer of a company, for example, or someone who has a certain level of authority. But then the regulations are also getting at anyone who is able to um, direct or determine important decisions made by the reporting company. And they're defining that hmm. as for example, whether or not you have the ability to determine if the company should be sold or if the company should merge with another company. And oftentimes in operating documents or um, bylaws, we have that, even if we are having passive investors, that is one of the items that almost everyone is able to vote on. Exactly. So so let's unpack that. So you just said, you know, there's People, and I, I guess it makes sense, substantial control. Certainly if somebody is an officer level, um, management level, where they are directing company policy or making the largest contracts, for the things like that, it seems logical. And I guess there's not a, it's not tied to a title, right? It's not right. vice president above or anything like that. Correct. Yeah, because people could play with titles. 
That's a very right. good point. And they will, right? And that's right. kind of the people that they're probably most concerned about <laughs> are the ones who would do that. But so in this instance, what's so interesting is you've got that kind of reasonable um, right. approach, right? Where and, it's like, and, and those people may not actually have an ownership in the company. Exactly. Okay. But, but then you've got the people who it's like if they can direct um, or determine certain actions of the company that are going to be deemed substantial control, such as um, whether or not the business should merge with another company or if all of the assets should be sold. That would be somebody who they'd be an owner, but maybe it is a um, minority owner or a silent investor. They're still going to be deemed to exercise substantial control. If they're entitled to vote on those things? Correct. Is that right? And, and we it, include those in almost all of our yeah, operating documents. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about that. So, you know, every time, uh, virtually every time a, a new film gets started, a documentary or a docuseries or a feature film, whatever it is, almost always form a new LLC. Typically it's an LLC. It doesn't have to be. But a new entity. Um, so a single purpose, right, to... Uh, manage the budget and all that, but also primarily to own the copyright. And many times those entities then have investors who don't exercise any control in the film or the distribution, but we still include that language in the operating agreement that if the company is going to be sold or something like that, they get to vote on that. And the, the rub there is I don't think we would want to change that in the operating documents, yeah. right? And so... Either we don't change it and they be deemed a beneficial owner who then has to report right. certain information, which we'll get into, or they truly kind of let go of any ability to yeah. decide anything with well, respect. And I know that some of the state statutes that govern limited liability companies, for example, or corporate shareholder protection, I mean, most states have some level of protections for members or shareholders. And typically, some of those include, you must have the ability to vote on at least these things. Right. So almost By certainly. By statute. Yeah. You're right. And, and I, we're talking about this, and this is important, and I, I, I'm, you've mentioned this before, and, and I'm gonna, you're going to mention it again here, the why. Because, you know, we're talking about this first, like, really? These people are going to have to report something? But they shouldn't care. Exactly. Right? I mean, or should they care? What? What are? What's? The, why are we doing this again? So, yeah, I love that we're going back to the purpose because, like I said, that always kind of I think helps remind people um, why we're doing this. And the idea is to basically try and stop criminal activity, right. or um, at least have the ability to find out where to find them. Got so it. having a door to knock on really is what um, FinCEN, which is like the Financial Crimes um, Administrative Agency, is looking for okay. here. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, so we're when we talk about, I, I guess, and, and this is one of those things where you, you literally sort of, as a lawyer, practicing in this corporate transactional area, you know, we are used to... Um, Companies who form a company to then form a company, and it's a very common structure in many, many types of transactions. And it happens in the film world, too. You have, you know, people that form an entity to invest in films and do things like that. Right. And so one of those entities would then be a reporting company in its own right, and then so would the film. Exactly, because they're looking to flow down to a person, an individual. Okay. And to your point, I mean, we have plenty of clients, um, even without having a nefarious purpose, they might just have 
boatloads of money and they don't want their name associated on documents. Um, And so they are trying to hide for that reason, not for the reason that the the Corporate Transparency Act was even um, passed. It's not even really trying to hide as much as it is just saying we're not we don't want to share this information about us with the public to become targets for people that want to make us targets right exactly yeah okay but it's unfortunate because it is going to then require like those people essentially don't have the ability to hide anymore so to your earlier question should we be concerned i mean i don't think this is anything that's necessarily concerning it's going to be a bit time intensive especially in the beginning but if you have nothing to hide then hopefully this isn't too um Scary. And well, everyone hopefully already filed a tax return, you know. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, so let let's let's maybe maybe this is a point to jump ahead. And I and I I know we I'm gonna ask you to kind of come back when we get to it to walk us back through this basic structure because there's three main components, right? Correct. That need to be understood. But let's let's jump ahead here just because I don't think it's clear what we're talking about. What information? So let's say I'm a I own one percent of a film project. I invested a small amount of money and it ends up being a 1% interest. Um, but now I'm included in this group of people that has to report some information about myself. Mm-hmm. What has to be reported about myself? So if you are deemed a beneficial owner, you're going to have to provide your full legal name, okay. your date of birth. You have to also have a residential street address. Okay. So that cannot be your business, to be clear on that. That's interesting. Okay. And then you also have to have a unique identification number. So it was similar to a reporting company where it's like they have an EIN or a TIN, but with respect to an individual, that's going to be um, a United States passport, for example, a driver's license, or there is an option to obtain what's known as a FinCEN identifier. So it's not social security number. It is not. Okay. And what's interesting, that used to be a requirement. Um, and then through the comment period, okay. that was something that was changed in the regulations. Got it. Okay. So orig- the original draft included uh, Social Security number as one of the identifying things. And it then did. in the notice and comment period, people said no and they changed the regulations. Correct. Okay. Um, and and that's, that's, I think that's important. So basically, it's information that the government already has. That's the way that I'm looking at it. Right? I mean, if I have a driver's license, so I have a passport, I've already reported this information to the government. Now, I don't share that information with somebody else necessarily. Right. So where, okay, and that's helpful, I think, to remember. All this is asking, you've got to get to a human. You've got to get to a residential address, not a P.O. box or an email or a company address. Um, And date of birth. Right. And then whether that's that driver's license number or passport number or you'll tell about another process in a minute. Okay, so that's relatively basic personal information. It's not uh, it's not tax return information. It's not Social Security number. It's not bank account information. It's not how much money you have or any of those things. Right. Okay. And again, it's all information that we already report anyway. Correct. So. Let's talk about then when we, because of the Corporate Transparency Act, where does this information go? Who gets it? Is it public? So it's not meant to be public. Okay. Um, and I think that's obviously where a lot of people have concerns is sure. because 
what if there's a data breach? But the idea with respect to this is that um, everything is going to be uploaded to um, FinCEN, which again is the Financial right. Crimes Network. Um, they're creating a system called BOSS. Which is, <laughs> I appreciate it. Is it, it. Is it an acronym? Yes, right. it stands for Beneficial Ownership Secure System. Ah. So that's where you're uploading everything. Boss. Exactly. Boss. Right. I know, I, I love when they do these types <laughs> of acronyms. But the idea, okay, so they are obviously concerned about being able to um, find criminals or prevent kind of the use of shell companies to hide sure. behind criminal sure. activity. And so they will allow access to this information to federal law enforcement agencies okay. only as part of a national security um, or law enforcement activity. So there's restrictions around right. that. And then- So this, would there still be a warrant required or some level of, presumably some level of, you know, it's got to rise to X level of investigation or something like that. And I don't know if warrants are- that's the right terminology in all of these circumstances, but right. presumably some justification, right? Correct. So with the with federal law enforcement, it's on um, kind of the the national security level. With okay. the state local um, agencies, it's going to be that it has to be authorized by a court of competent jurisdiction. Okay. So usually you, you go to them yeah. for like a warrant um, or as part of a criminal or civil investigation. Okay. Um, and so then, so those protections that yes. already exist in our system. And again, let's assume we all still have faith in our system, which is, I think, frankly, something we should still try to assume, it, it, right? We operate as lawyers within that system and um, believe in it and work hard to maintain it. So assuming those systems, those protections for, for individual uh, citizens are still in place, this is really just one more place to put some information. Is that... Fair or is that too simple? I think that's fair, especially because it is something that I think they've recognized um, that would possibly be a concern to American citizens. And so they have imposed criminal and civil penalties if this is something that is misused. Okay. So okay. with respect to um, the different criminal and civil penalties for this unauthorized access, again, because we're having these different agencies, if they meet this threshold, have access to that information. Right. If they use it in an unauthorized manner or access it without the kind of like the required threshold, the criminal penalties are up to five years in prison or like $250,000. Okay. And there's also civil penalties associated with that. And so, I and that's if people are are knowingly disclosing the information that improperly or uh, accessing it in some way or something exactly. like that. Okay. Yes. So, and and, when, and I think that's important too because if you think about, you know, over the last, I don't know, ten years or so, uh, certainly maybe longer, really, privacy in the midst of this data explosion world, data privacy has taken on an increasingly important role. We see it in HIPAA, obviously, um, but more and more, you know, the European Union got out and when it was still the European Union, got out in, in front of um, the uh, privacy issue first where the GDPR was, was more protective than U.S. law. But little by little, many states here are embracing those very um, privacy protective provisions in a lot of areas of law. Right. Right. So this doesn't undo any of that stuff. 
Right. And I think it's also, I love that you're kind of bringing up data privacy and it's not an area that I um, practice in, but I know enough to be um, possibly dangerous. I don't know. (laughs) But so the idea with with these data privacy laws, right, is that um, we don't want companies to be able to use our private information, tie it back to us um, in ways that we aren't authorizing it. And it's almost the reverse here, where FinCEN is wanting to tie your personal information to you because they want to know exactly where to find you. And I think that's why some of these penalties are so high um, is to address people who abuse it. Exactly. Because even in the comments, FinCEN was saying that it's um, a critical priority for them to protect the security and the confidentiality of this information. So So this is intended to work with existing privacy law, not to undercut it in any way. Correct. Right. And it still only applies if you have an ownership interest in a company. Right. So... I mean that's a or that's, exercise substantial or abs- control, right? But mm-hmm. both of those things, while while we we interact with those people and and entities like that all the time in our practices, the reality is most citizens don't. Right. Right. This isn't going to affect most people. Correct. Unless mm-hmm. unless you are um, investing in a business, having sure. control over it, or you know, you're just simply an entrepreneur or um, kind of like the third component here is a company applicant. So let's say you're working for someone who is wanting you to um, apply for the the, the new business, right? So you're forming these documents. And if we kind of circle back to the, the very beginning, a reporting company is you do any sort of filing to create a legal entity, a limited liability company, a corporation, oftentimes Someone's being directed to do that, to form that company. So Often that's us. Exactly. Right? As attorneys. Right? Okay. Yep. And so we would be deemed or known as a company applicant. And the company applicant is also um, an individual who's been required to report information. Okay. So would that include like the attorneys or even a paralegal who's charged with filing the information? Exactly. So it's anyone. So let's say a a client asks us to form it. If I then go and ask a paralegal, it would be both of us that would be deemed company applicants because I'm the one that is um, controlling it. And then I've actually directed someone else to do the filing. So it's whoever is doing the directing and then the one who's doing the filing. And, And of course, in the past, we would have said, and here's our work address. Exactly. But now we have to include home addresses. So at least with respect to company applicants, thank goodness, we can include business street addresses as long as it's something that we do in like the ordinary course. Got it. Okay. So for company applicants who um, are working for a, a, a business owner, that might not be something they do in the ordinary course. And Got they'd it. have so to maybe it's somebody that's maybe it's somebody that's the uh, um sort of lower level accountant or bookkeeping employee that wouldn't have substantial control under the, you know, directing the the company's operations and doesn't have an ownership interest. So normally wouldn't be considered. And yet in this situation, as the company applicant, they may be required because, and to put their home address, because their job isn't all day long forming companies. Right. It's doing this other stuff and they're just doing it this one time for this company. Correct. Okay. And then the same, essentially, criteria of what needs to be reported for a beneficial owner then applies to a company applicant. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So 
now we've sort of so let's let's sort of summarize here a little bit on the the three sort of defined terms that people need to find themselves in there, yeah. right? So first it's the reporting company. Correct. So you're going to determine whether or not you're a reporting company and obviously there's those 23 exemptions, but if we circle back to the why, we should hopefully be able to figure out um, right. or at least remember the exemptions. So if you're um, a limited liability company, a corporation, any entity that's formed a document that isn't already highly re regulated or exempted in any way, then you're deemed a reporting company okay. and you move on to figuring out if um, the reporting company then has who like who the beneficial owners got are it. and who the company applicants are. Okay. So we've got a reporting, and if you're not a reporting company, none of those other things matter. Correct. But if you are a reporting company, then you look to who the beneficial owners are, whether they're exercising substantial control or some aspect of their ownership is either above 25% or gives them the right to vote on certain major decisions. Correct. And then the company applicant, if that company applicant is either a law firm or, or lawyers, then we can use our business address, but still have to report. But if it's somebody that normally doesn't do this, they might have to use their home address and also report. Correct. All right. Well, um, okay. So we've, we've, that's sort of the summary. Uh, when is it, this is it scheduled currently to go into effect January 1, correct? Of 2024, correct. And what are the current, what does that mean for current existing companies and companies that get formed after that point? Yes. So for existing companies, they will have um, until January 1 of 2025, actually, um, in order to um, file their initial report. But for those who are created on or after January 1, mm -hmm. 2024, when this takes effect, they have 30 days. Now, okay. I will say that that's something that we've seen comments um, or like a proposed rule on that they're going to extend that. That's nothing that's been final yet. Okay. Um, so either way, though, I would start anticipating uh, right. having to collect this information and then file. So basically every company that already exists is gonna have a year to make their initial filing with all this information. Correct. Right? And I'm, we're assuming you're a reporting company. Right. And then any new reporting company, you basically, and you have 30 days, but isn't this something that you, you essentially incorporate into your initial filings? That would be the idea. Right. I feel like that you're gonna, I think, um, develop a process, at least if you do this enough. Right. And I know at least internally that's kind of our plan at the law firm where you're incorporating this as just part of your due diligence, if right. you will, when forming an right. entity. Okay. And so, um, and, and you mentioned that there, you know, this is, are, there's some challenges to this, right? I mean, it hasn't taken effect yet. Um, I understand that there have been some court cases filed challenging, maybe the constitutionality of Correct. it. Have any of those had any kind of rulings yet? Not yet, and I feel okay. like everyone's kind of, especially as we're coming up on January yeah. 1, 2024, is waiting for that day. Um, but we do have on our website a Corporate Transparency Act like resource right. okay. page, and so we'll continue to keep um, everyone apprised through that, um, or obviously if they want to give us a call, sure. um, okay. <laughs> you know, right. we can always talk. And, the, and that, so that's on the capesocal.com website, Correct. right? And the Corporate Transparency Act, we've got a whole page there, and it's really informative. And I, I appreciate you, you coming on here to talk to us about this, because while it is uh, really, you know, expansive in its scope, it is something that is meaningful right. to the companies, our clients, and, and anybody out there that's 
creating companies to put content on screens. And more and more, you know, we often talk about um, some of the internal processes. We've talked about financing films and things like that where you get different investment. Well, now this is going to be part of all of that. And I can already envision, you know, when we prepare um, offering documents and a summary of the investment opportunities, someone is maybe interested in investing in a film. We're going to now have to include a disclosure that says your information is going to have to be included in the Corporate Transparency Act. And here's what's going to have to be required. Right. I mean, I, I can now vision that would be, I think, in any offering document now. And part of the disclosures, letting people know. Right. Or at the very least, because um, there's so much here that we haven't even been able to to cover. Um, but at the very least, requiring beneficial owners to obtain a FinCEN ID. And I'm sad, glad you said that because there's one more thing I think to just to touch on here. And again, we have, we don't have, we could take, you, you spent months digging into this. I know you and others here at the firm. And, and so we can't talk about all that on this episode. But let's bring back that one point. There is, if... If, if I understand correctly, now, if somebody is somewhat regularly involved in this, so let's say we regularly are helping companies file their documents and would be considered company applicants, or maybe somebody regularly invests in different projects or, or owns multiple companies, are there, there's a way for them to get, is it almost like pre-approved or what, what, what is that? How so, does that work? Yeah. And it really, it's not even, even if somebody's it's not approval, just, it's, right. Okay. It's obtaining, um, like a unique identifier number. Um, and really anyone can do it, even if they're not investing, um, or be being deemed a company applicant often, if they don't want to provide kind of like that identifying information that we discussed, um, to the reporting company, then they can obtain a FinCEN identification Got number, um, and instead, that's what they would give to the, the reporting company All in right. order to file. And you just said something there that's really important. I want to make sure to tie this up as we as we wind up this part of the conversation. Yes. And will you come back if there's changes? Absolutely. Or? Okay, good. I'm because, just honored I was invited back well, a second time already. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you're the first, first two-timer. <laughs> Am I really? All right. Excellent. <laughs> okay. Um, because, yes, I think this is something we're going to continue to follow. But you just said something uh, kind of important there, what I really hadn't focused on. Because I first went to, well, we're already giving this information to the government anyway. The government already has my passport number. But I wouldn't normally give my passport number or even my driver's license number to a new company I'm investing in. Correct. And this requires us to give the information to the company, right? Mm -hmm. So the company can report. Correct. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So while we talked about if someone in the company, let's say someone in re receives all that information and then goes and sells it or abuses it, that's what those heavy criminal penalties are for. So there are different penalties for, for that use. The penalties that I was talking about were the ones for unauthorized access with respect to um, the, the different agencies, oh, okay. for example. Okay. Um, but the kind of other thing to, to mention with respect to it is that obviously um, you can, if you obtain a FinCEN identification number, then all that you're giving to the reporting company is that unique identification number um, okay. that that kind of just so up. So if I, let's say I, I, you know, invest from time to time in different companies or, or things like that, I could go through, provide the same information that I would otherwise have to provide. It doesn't change, right? It's still... Name, full name, residential address, passport number, birthday, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I, I go to the FinCEN process and that I give them that information. They then generate a unique number for me. 
And then every time I invest and it says, okay, for Corporate Transparency Act, I need the following information. Instead of me listing my address and everything there, I can simply give them my FinCEN number. Correct. And that satisfies their obligations. Okay. Yes. And to your point about how there could be so much more, there's also benefits to the company, the reporting company for doing this with respect to um, not having liability for any changes and a beneficial owner's information. Because if I move, then I got to update it there. Exactly. Interesting. So there's just so much to, I feel like, unpack. But And, and, and that, again, one more, we, we, we could go on for hours. Right. There, there is a, there, part of this will be an ongoing duty to update. Exactly. Correct? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, and that's within 30 days, but okay. I mean, maybe I'll be the first person now to come back three times. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to, we're going to stick around with this. I think this Perfect. is very important. And for all you filmmakers out there, people putting things on screens, starting your companies, this is going to apply to you and we're going to help you with it as much as we can, obviously. Absolutely. So, well, Danny, thank you. Thank you. This Pete. is really, I think this is important to kind of take a sidestep from some of the other things we talk about here, because this is, this really affects, affects all businesses, exactly. right? Um, but certainly businesses that put content on the screen are included in that. Yes. Um, and we're always talking about trying to make sure our clients who are incredibly creative are also good business people. And sometimes that's the role we fill more than anything else. And this is another part of that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, folks, if you'd like to know more about the Corporate Transparency Act, you can check out www.capesocal.com. See, uh, there's probably a slash and there's probably something or other, but just search Corporate Transparency Act. You'll get it. Um, if you're interested in more information, obviously you can uh, check out the screenlawyer.com. We've got links to that as well. And if you like this podcast and like all of the Screen Lawyer content, find us and follow us wherever you get your audio podcasts. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like and subscribe button so you'll get continued updates whenever we post new material at the screenlawyer.com. Take care. You've been listening to The Screen Lawyer Podcast with your host, Pete Salsic, The Screen Lawyer. For more information or to stay connected, find us on social at The Screen Lawyer or check us out at thescreenlawyer.com.